Here you can see the actual number again. What stood out to me is the uh, core number uh, coming in higher than expected. That second line there, uh, and also notice the year-over-year uh, -year core PPI coming in uh, a little bit higher than expected as well. So kind of uh, in line with what we saw yesterday in many ways here, and. Uh, uh, it does look like we're seeing uh, a little bit of an easing here, though, in some ways, in terms of that year-over-year -year number on the bigger picture, down from 7.6 to 7.3. So, yeah, the market, uh, uh, again, kind of trying to digest this one and somewhat mixed here, but uh, nowhere near the scare that we saw yesterday in reaction to the CPI. Okay, let's bring in Bob Iaccino, the founder, the, P the founder and chief strategist at Path Trading Partners. Bob, good morning to you. Don't take it personally. I've had a hard time getting a couple uh, of these... Uh, 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 titles out here today, but talk to us in terms of what you're seeing here as far as the PPI number, because it, it looks like kind of a muted reaction for the most part, nowhere near the scare that we saw yesterday from the consumer side of things. Well, first of all, I feel for you having to say Iachino, PPI, Path Trading Partners, all in one sentence. There's nobody that could do it like you, Ben. Yeah, well, don't do it 10 times no. fast, that's for sure. There's just no chance of that. PPI is interesting today because of what you pointed out, that core figure. You would have liked to have seen that core figure come down just a touch and maybe get some anticipation of some ease on the core uh, in the CPI next week or more specifically the PCEs. But when you do look at that headline number, that food and energy included PPI, and you see a little bit of easing there, it makes sense with the data. This almost feels like you know, you're looking at a movie review. It's like you already saw the movie, but the reviews came in and they're basically what you would have expected. We all know that energy, at least in the form of crude oil and gasoline came down, natural gas in the U.S. as well. Some easing in the ags uh, sector over the last month or so, which can be inputs to different things, processed foods, for example, uh, cotton for uh, apparel. And we did see a lower inflation sort of trajectory for apparel yesterday. And that kind of fits with the inventory buildup that we've heard about in places like apparel where the supply chain was really a big deal. But this particular number is not gonna move the needle in terms of the Fed. We both saw what happened. If you're watching the CME Fed Watch tool or if you were doing your own math versus SOFR and Fed funds futures, you could easily see that the highest probability now in November is for another 75 basis point rate hike. 75 is now based, uh, is baked in now in the September meeting. As I last time I looked, we were at about an 18% chance of 100 basis mm. points, which I think there's no way that happens by the September meeting. There's not enough data coming out in my mind to frame that for the FOMC. Uh, but when you look at it from that perspective, you know, I'm actually, I think I might have mentioned this to you. I'm working on an article for the CME group, which will probably come out next week. And the working title is basically, is the Fed going to be Mike Tyson or is it going to be uh, Floyd Mayweather? And I think what we're seeing is a Mike Tyson kind of approach to inflation where the Fed is just throwing as many haymakers as they can build up the inertia to throw for as long as they can. The actual curve now is pricing in about 148 basis points. Uh, going into next year. So that would theoretically mean 75 and 75 or 75 September, 70, uh, 50 November, 25 in December, and then go into next year and maybe pause. I think a lot of people that were using the word pivot, I wasn't one of them, are not using it anymore. 
You know, Bob, uh, I'm, I'm glad you said uh, throwing haymakers. I thought you were going to say they were going to try and bite its ear off, inflation's ear off. But in terms of that, Bob, I mean, we've seen prices come off. Energy prices have come off. And to your point, uh, feeding into this, but crude oil still hanging out around $90 a barrel. We just heard from the IEA this morning. I'm curious if anything stood out in terms of that report there. They talked about China demand falling. That seems somewhat bearish crude, but but still at uh, $90, more suggestive of uh, kind of what we're seeing is sort of a plateau of inflation rather than a spike in inflation. And even this PPI number, I mean, at the very least, kind of supporting that narrative as well. So we could be here for a while. Yeah, definitely. We're seeing demand uh, start to ease up in things like crude oil, uh, certainly in some of the metals markets. But crude oil, looking at it specifically, crude oil now to me is a story about how serious Robert Novak from Russia and um, the the Saudi oil minister, who his name escapes me unfortunately right now, uh, Abdulaziz bin Salman is his name, uh, that they were talking about the potential for cuts. Now they just kind of threw it out there. In basically, in my opinion, the questions were probably framed in such a way where maybe reporters said to them, you know, the cuts are out of the question, right? I mean, I didn't see the questions; I only saw the statements. But I assume that's what it was. But when you start to see crude oil weakness, I've still got a target of $64.50. Nothing has changed there. What could change that overnight is an expansion of geopolitical tensions, whether it involves Russia, Ukraine, which Ukraine is pushing back Russia right now. Mm -hmm. That's good news for commodities. I don't know about geopolitically. That's not my realm. But also, you could still see flare-ups uh, with Iranian nuclear deal kind of falling apart. So we're not going to get that crude oil anytime soon, and that potentially could spark. Again, I'm really getting out there and away from my um, expertise, but it could spark something between Israel and Iran, maybe the US and Iran, that could happen down the road. And that could theoretically interrupt the supply of crude oil, but the more likely scenario is OPEC has already said that they can have a meeting anytime they wanna have a meeting, anytime they feel the market calls for a meeting, and if they do have that meeting, they may consider cuts. And that's now the biggest thing you need to look at with crude oil in terms of what's priced in. Also, I have to mention this being in Florida, no named storms yet headed for the Gulf. So we've got that to watch out for, too. There still could be a pretty big weather disruption. Bob, that being said, I want to shift gears a little bit here and talk about gold, because one of the things I've been noticing since the beginning of the year, it seems like gold gets a lift amidst inflationary pressures, but not if rates see a, a spike to the upside. Oftentimes that coincides with the U.S. dollar, I guess one could argue, but uh, gold yesterday again, well, right now it's working its way back down towards the 1700 level. It's uh, struggled. The bulls have really had to be patient to say the least while we're holding above key support. I'm curious uh, what, while this potential hawkishness or necessary uh, lesser of two evils the Fed's faced with here ultimately, uh, what that means for gold. Well, I think you hit it right on the head. There is sort of this holy trinity with gold. And when rates are not moving, when the Fed is accommodative and there's no expectation for the Fed to move from there, you're talking about seasonality and the trajectory of the dollar, which for a while had to do with what other central banks were doing. But now you're looking at yields. I mean, you hit it spot on. Yields is the proxy for the gold move going forward. Now we see gold down just a touch. I think it's right around two tenths of a percent lower right now. We're seeing yields just up a touch last that I marked them. So now you're looking at a scenario where people have to remember gold is, it's, it's a store of value, right? It's an asset that theoretically protects the value of the person who holds it. 
So when you look at it from that perspective, if you start getting a 340, 350, 10-year, that may be a better store of value. Now, we do have seasonal strength right now. By the way, research has been done on this. Uh, we had John Kilduff on our podcast this week on the Futures Edge podcast, and he's done a lot of work into this. And he said there actually is a physical demand spike during the wedding season in India, which starts now. So you have tailwinds to gold, which possibly is a reason it hasn't gone lower than it has. You might see some actual physical gold bargain hunting over the next few weeks, but the headwind is yield. So if you expect a 10-year yield to go to 375 to even 4%, if you expect that, I don't see much higher than 375. As a matter of fact, my target for 2022 at the end of last year was a 375 10-year. I'm going to stick with that target on a yield side. Then you're going to see gold go weaker despite the seasonality. The seasonality is not a trading strategy. It's just sort of a headwind or a tailwind, depending on when it takes place. You know, to your point here, Bob, one thing I've been noticing, and if I could just pull this chart here in one second here, uh, gold, I've got it here. It's holding above the 50-day moving average, and it's holding above the July low. So, again, even with that strength we've seen in the U.S. dollar recently, we're talking multi-decade highs. Gold has been relatively supported. So I like that uh, take on that. Talk to us. Uh, lastly, in terms of um, actually my chart of the day is going to be Bitcoin. So let's just end there. Uh, it's remained in this range for the most part. It's come under pressure, reflection of how well the risk on sentiment, the appetite for uh, uh, risk certainly hasn't been what it was. And even though stocks saw a nice little lift off the June lows, Bitcoin still is kind of reflection how it seems like uh, investors kind of want something a little bit more tangible, uh, an asset, again, that has something a little bit more tied to it uh, in terms of rhyme and reason, earnings and quarterly results, for example, and a name or, or something, uh, you know, along the lines of some of the commodities that you were just talking about. Bitcoin just did not benefit uh, from the move off the lows that we saw earlier this summer. If you're a longer term Bitcoin holder, I'm not going to say hodl. I refuse to use that. We need an adult in the room here. If you're a long term Bitcoin holder, you want two of three things to happen. Either the regulations to come down, yeah. final, yeah. gavel hits the yeah. desk, and just done. These are the regulations. Gensler supporting and, some of that as of recent, but go ahead. Exactly. Still nothing yet. And you want to see a, a, either use, usability increase yeah. or you want to see stocks rally. Yeah. Because okay. again, if you get out of this bear market in stocks, People will have excess capital that they can then put into something riskier yeah. or a longer term play. You're not going to get that lift to the new highs unless stocks get out of this rally and regulators get out of the way. I'm sorry, get out of the spare market and regulators get out of the way. I like that solid take here. We'll look for one of those three things to happen. Bob, always appreciate you joining us. Thanks for sharing part of your Wednesday with us here on the TD Ameritrade Network. Bob Iacchino, founder, chief strategist at Path Trading Partners.